My text is found in the latter part of verse 10 of Matthew chapter 6. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Uh, This prayer has uh, been given the title by many people of the Lord's Prayer. Others think it really should be called the Disciples' Prayer because uh, it's not for the Lord to pray. He prayed in John 17, but it is a prayer for us, uh, the followers of Christ, uh, to pray through this prayer. Uh, And this prayer is a comprehensive prayer. It takes in everything uh, that we need to pray about. It's it's a bit like a sermon. I have sermon notes here. Uh, They're very useful to have. Uh, The other Sunday I was preaching in Mount Marion, and when I arrived in the car park and reached round for my notes, I suddenly discovered they were sitting uh, in my home on the kitchen table, and I had to try and preach uh, without the notes. Uh, the, the notes give you uh, the headings and the subheadings of what you want to cover uh, in the message. And then you can expand them and cover uh, much more than uh, would be covered by just reading out what you have in your notes. Well, Christ has given us the topics, the headings, under which uh, we may bring our petitions And this prayer is comprehensive. It covers everything. I may say too that it is a deeply spiritual prayer. It's not to be prayed over in a casual fashion. Why do I say that? Well, just to pick out one expression that Christ emphasizes after he has gone through the prayer. It is that in the verse that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive Uh, our debtors in verse 12. Uh, Debts are really sins and in the common way that that prayer is prayed we say forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Now isn't that deeply spiritual because it's very difficult to forgive someone that has wronged you. We build up resentment, we build up grudges and, and many times those grudges and resentments build up into a hatred of the person that has hurt us and offended us and done wrong to us. And now when you're praying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Uh, you are doing something that cuts across the grain, something that is hard for you to do. You need help from God to pray in that. You need the Holy Spirit to enable you to pray in that fashion. So I'm saying to you, this is a deeply spiritual prayer. And we're going to focus on just one expression in the prayer. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So the first thing I want us to think about is what is meant by God's will. When we speak of God's will being done, I may say that there is a sense in which God's will is always done because God is supreme, God is sovereign. Uh, We are told that he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. So so God's will is always done uh, in its secret sense for, for God is in absolute control of everything that happens Uh, upon this earth. Uh, We sing that hymn, Sovereign Ruler of the Skies, 
ever gracious, ever wise, all my times are in thy hand, all events at thy command. And how beautiful that expression is. All my times are in thy hand, all events at thy command. God is the sovereign ruler of the skies. He's in control. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. So that's his, what we might call his secret will. But then there is his will in regard to his commandments. What he tells us we must do, what he tells us we must not do. He expects us to obey him. But it is possible for us, and so often it happens, it is possible for us to disobey him. Take Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They are shown the will of God. They are told, you may eat from every tree in the garden. Take the fruit of any tree, except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam could obey that command. He was expected to obey that command. Indeed, we can say he was commanded to obey that command, but he didn't. He disobeyed God. He brought sin upon himself, and he brought sin into the lives of all his descendants. We are born in sin and shapen in iniquity, and we disobey the clear command of God. And when we have this petition in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done in earth or on earth as it is in heaven, we are really praying that men will do and that we will do what God has commanded. And this is something that we should be praying about every day. For the prayer, uh, in its context, is a daily prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So I'm praying for it today. I'm not praying for tomorrow's bread. I'm praying for today's bread. And as I'm praying for today's bread, I am saying at the same time, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, And you might say, well, this is really somewhat uh, difficult. It's impossible. But it should be our aspiration. God tells us to be holy. We will never be perfectly holy in this world. But we should aspire after holiness. There should be increasing holiness in our lives. And so there should be an aspiration as we pray, a desire, a longing, a spiritual desire, a spiritual longing. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we might uh, take it to its ultimate conclusion and we might say that it is a prayer for the second coming of Christ. For when Christ comes again, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will be done most perfectly. Uh, When Christ said to the Apostle John, Behold, I come quickly, right at the end of the Bible. What did John say? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now that's 2,000 years ago. When Christ said, Behold, I come quickly. And John said, Even so, come Lord Jesus. John had that desire. He had that aspiration Oh, come, I long for your coming. 
Well, we should have the same aspiration regarding God's will. We should be saying, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want myself to do thy will here in this body, on this earth. I want to do thy will as thy will is done in heaven. And that leads me to a second point. And it flows from the first. We need to think of how God's will is done in heaven in order that we might see how we want to see it done on earth. One thing we can be sure of in heaven, God's will is done instantly. It is done immediately. I grew up in a family of seven children, three boys, four girls, and many times our parents would tell us what we should do. And you know the standard reply? I'll do it in a wee minute. How many of us have said that? I'll do it in a wee minute. And we were really actually saying, I don't want to do it. If I really wanted to do it, I would be happy to obey my father or my mother, and I'd be happy to do it right away. There's no delay in the doing of God's will in heaven. In Psalm 33 and verse 9, we read, He spake, and it was done. Now, that's not, in a sense, doing God's will, but, but that's an illustration of what happens in heaven. When God spoke, things happened. When he spoke, the earth was created and the heavens. When he spoke, the grass began to grow. When he spoke, the trees were planted. When he spoke, the sun and the moon and the stars appeared. When he spoke, the sea was filled with fish, and I could go on. He spake. And it was done. Well, when he speaks in heaven, immediately, without any hesitation, his will is done. And that's what you're praying for. You're praying for immediate obedience to the will of God. Not only is it done instantly, it is done thoroughly. You see, there's no sin in heaven. And the angels do not pick and choose as to what they should do. When God says to his angel, I want you to go down and go into a den of lions, and I want you to take away the appetite from those lions so that Daniel will not be touched, the angel thoroughly and instantly obeys God. And the result, Daniel is safe in the den of lions. God sends an angel to the Assyrian host that is camped outside Jerusalem and is threatening the lives of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The angel goes down and he slays 185,000 of the Assyrian host. That may have been the entire Assyrian host, but he slew them. In one instant, he obeyed instantly, he obeyed thoroughly. Not like Saul. When Saul was sent to slay the Amalekites, he spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, and he also spared Agag, uh, the, uh, the king uh, of the Amalekites. And uh, Saul pretended he had been thorough in his obedience, and Samuel said, Well, what meaneth uh, this bleeding of the sheep 
and the lowing of the oxen that I hear. I can hear the roar of animals. If you have thoroughly obeyed me, why? And why is Agag still alive? This man, this wicked king, there he is, Agag, he needs to be slain. And Samuel hacked him to pieces with the sword. So when we're talking about doing the will of God, we're talking about doing it thoroughly. Not just the agreeable parts, the things that God asks us to do. And we smile and we say, I'd love to do that. I'd really love to do that. And then God asks us to do something that's disagreeable. And we hesitate and we find excuses. And we say, but don't ask me to do that, Lord. We do God's will thoroughly if we do it on earth as it is done in heaven. And then we do it wholeheartedly. The two things really go together. We throw everything into it. We're told, servants, obey your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, it says. Doing service. Goodwill. That's how we should do the will of God. As the servants were commanded uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 to do it with goodwill, to do it from the heart and not do it as men pleasers, so we should do the will of God. Christ said, I delight to do thy will. Do you know it's a privilege? A privilege to do God's will? The greatest privilege that you could imagine. When God trusts you to ask you to do something and says, go and do this. Shouldn't we count it a privilege? Shouldn't we do it joyfully? In heaven there's joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And as they do God's will, not only are they wholehearted, but they are rejoicing. What a blessing it is. What a joy to us. And then, of course, they do it continually. They don't do it for a day or two and then say, well, uh, I did my share yesterday or I did my share last week. They do it continually. God may ask them to do something today. He asks them to do something the next day and the day after and the day after. And they continue, they continue to obey God. And that is what we are praying for when we say, thy will Be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's wholehearted, it's instant, it's thorough, it's done joyfully. So do you see how deeply spiritual this prayer is? And that leads me to a third point. And what I want to say is this. It is really here a prayer for revival. If God's will were done on earth as it is in heaven, then earth would be like heaven. Uh, Let let me just sort of demonstrate this. If we turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 11 in the Old Testament, and we have a wonderful expression uh, in Deuteronomy uh, on chapter 11, uh, and that expression is found uh, in the verse 21 of the chapter. Let, Let me read you some verses from the chapter, beginning at verse 18. And God is commanding through Moses uh, the children of Israel. And he says in verse 18, Therefore shall ye lay up these words, my words, in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, 
that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. He's talking about God's commands here. He says, you're to lay them up in your heart. And he says, you're to bind them for a sign upon your hand. He doesn't mean that literally. But as if when you're out walking, you can see God's commands are so clearly there. You look as it were on your hand. Or, or they're, they're as frontlets. Uh, they're in front of your eyes. In other words, they're in your mind. They're in your mind. They're in your heart. They're in your very soul. Every instant, God's commands. What does God require of me? When that happens, and you're conscious of God's will at all times, then you're living in the very presence of God. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God to be like that. And he says not only are they to be there constantly before you, but then in verse 19 he says, And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. Everywhere is it where you see the will of God. What God wants you to do. And you, uh, you have it so much in your heart that you want to teach it to your children. You want your children to obey God. You want your children, your grandchildren, to be in obedience to the will of God, carrying out the will of God. You want them saved, in other words. And you want them spiritual. You want them going forward. And here is the result in verse uh, 21. That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord, Lord swear unto your fathers to give them. And here is the expression. As the days of heaven. As the days of heaven upon the earth. The, the idea current is that if you're always in obedience to God and always seeking to do God's will, it's almost like a purgatory on earth. Oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. And God expects this of me and he expects that of me. And his requirements, his commandments are so grievous to me. They're so hard for me to do. I would like to enjoy myself a little bit. Well... You want to really enjoy yourself in a spiritual way, in a way that there's no regrets afterward and no sorrow and no bitterness in your soul afterwards? Then do God's will and seek to have God's will ever before you. What does God want me to do? What does God require of me? And then you say, I I want my children to be blessed. I want them to know God's will. And so I'll take down the Bible each day. And I'll read from the Bible. And I'll explain the Bible to them in its simple passages. And then I'll take them to more difficult passages when they're older. And I'll pray with them and I'll pray over them. And I'll seek to understand the scriptures and to understand the will of God and to do it day by day. You'll be happy. You'll be so happy. It'll be like a foretaste of heaven, as Moses puts it, as days of heaven upon the earth. Why are we so miserable? Why are we so downcast? Why are we so often defeated? Why do we complain so much? Because God's will, God's will is being neglected. 
It's not days of heaven upon the earth. It's more like days of hell upon the earth. And we, we, uh, we, we want to see this. This is revival. God's will is done on this earth as it is done in heaven. Now, I know there are people who say there won't be revival in the days in which we live. I don't agree with them. I don't agree with them. And they say, these are the last days. Only they don't even say that. Because they've been saying that so long, they've changed the tune a little bit. They've added an expression or two. They don't say these are the last days and therefore uh, it's all gloom and doom. They'll say, these are the last of the last days. And then when that doesn't work, the last of the last of the last days. They say there can be no revival. But the Lord has taught us. He has taught us to pray. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And that's revival. So if you pray this prayer from your heart. In these days, a daily prayer. Each day you are praying for Revival, you're praying really for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Imagine what the world would be like if we all prayed this prayer from the depths of our heart. There would be no conflict today in Ukraine. There would be uh, no slaughter of the innocents and uh, amongst uh, amongst the, the places uh, where there's conflict, Christians are uh, among the greatest of sufferers. I, I mentioned in prayer a young woman that I read of in Nigeria. Uh, she made a statement. Uh, there was nothing wrong with what she said. Uh, she was at university and uh, people were putting in religious messages, obviously pro-Islamic messages, into notes, study notes, and she felt... Well, you know, this is not proper. Uh, We're here to study. And she put in a little statement. And she was stoned to death. And they're rioting. Uh, The the Muslims are rioting because two men have been detained. uh, I think they have been charged or are going to be charged with the murder of this girl. Uh, There will be none of that. None of that. There will be no uh, killing of the unborn children. If God's will were done on earth as it is in heaven. We wouldn't have all the pornography. uh, We wouldn't have all uh, the filth and the vileness that's taking place. We wouldn't see the breakdown of marriages that we see. uh, And and all the terrible things. The desecration of God's day. uh, The blaspheming of the name of Jesus Christ. uh, The throwing of the word of God uh, overboard. Uh, I remember hearing a sermon, and uh, uh, the man's first name is in my mind, but I can't think of uh, his second name. And he was waiting with his congregation outside a hall uh, to get in uh, for a Bible study and prayer meeting. And a man approached him, and he offered him a Bible. He says, maybe you could make use of this. And the minister said to him, Uh, Would you not like to keep it yourself? It had been the man's mother's Bible. His reply was, I wouldn't give it house room. Imagine, I wouldn't give my mother's Bible house room. That's how much he despised 
the word of God. The word of God has been thrown overboard. Sir Reverend Morris Roberts, I was thinking of, uh, that I heard to say that. The word of God has been jettisoned. The name of Christ is a swear word. And God's day is treated as an ordinary day. Sometimes people seem to go out of their way to transgress the Lord's command, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If God's will were done on earth, things would be different. And in times gone by, when revival came, the situation in the land was wonderfully transformed. Let me take you back to the 18th century. At the beginning of the 18th century, a man said after going and visiting the leading churches in London, you wouldn't have known whether the preacher was a follower of Muhammad or Confucius or Christ. And the people, they had signs in different public inns, drunk for a penny, dead drunk for tuppence, free straw provided that let you sleep it off uh, without charging you for the straw. And ministers were, were zealous for hunting and gambling and drinking. And they were zealous about stopping anyone entering their parish to preach the gospel. And then God began a work in the Holy Club in Oxford. John Wesley, Charles Wesley, uh, others, George Whitfield joined them. They began to study the Bible. They began to pray. And they began to visit the sick and read the scriptures with them. The poor people of the area, they still weren't saved. But God stirred them in their hearts. And God saved them, brought them to himself. And they preached and a magnificent awakening took place in the 18th century. And secular historians acknowledged the fact that England was saved from a bloody revolution such as took place in France at the end of the 18th century. There was, it was revival that stopped such a revolution taking place in England. Let me move you into the 19th century, uh, a year that we often talk about. Uh, I suppose you think free Presbyterian ministers always talk about 1859, the year of revival. Yes, we do. It's reckoned that up to 100,000 people were saved in that year of grace. 100,000 in a population smaller than today. God moved in a mighty way. And what was, what was the evidence? In, well, this is only part of the evidence. Magistrates' courts. And what happened in magistrate courts uh, before 1859, it would have been a rare occurrence, but if there were no cases to be tried, no criminals uh, to be brought before the magistrates, the magistrate was presented with a pair of white gloves. And time and again, after the 1859 revival, the magistrate was presented with a pair of white gloves. No cases to be tried. People are sober. People are honest. People are changed. A foretaste. A foretaste of heaven. Days of heaven upon the earth. And so here we have it. Thy will 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Uh, We've seen what it involves uh, and we have seen that it's really a prayer for revival. But I, I want to close with one more thought and that is this. This prayer is also very personal and has personal implications. If I desire to see God's will done on earth as it is done in heaven, then I personally must be willing to do God's will myself. It's not a matter of cleaning up society and saying, Lord, change society, change the people around me, change the province, change this island home of ours, change this nation of ours, change the people of the world, bring an end to conflict, bring an end to uncleanness and vileness, transform the world. But then I forget about myself. If I am praying, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, then I must be willing to do God's will myself. Otherwise, I'm being a hypocrite. It's like saying, Lord, change everybody else. Make everybody else do what's right. But let me do as I please. Don't lay a yoke upon me. Uh, Don't ask me to do this or to do that or to do the other thing. Uh, Change the world. Change the people around me. But let me have my own way. Well, then I'm just a hypocrite if I pray in that way. And I must be willing, I must be willing to do God's will. As I pray this prayer on a daily basis, I must be willing to do God's will every day. So what it really is, as far as you and I personally are concerned, is a prayer of daily consecration. There's a hymn that says in one of its verses, High heaven that heard the solemn vow, that vow renewed shall daily hear, till in life's latest hour I bow, and bless in death a bond so dear. High heaven that heard the solemn vow, what was that vow? It was when we came to Christ and we, we dedicated ourselves to him. You see, you don't just take Christ to save you from your sins. You take Christ as your Lord and the sovereign of your life. Otherwise, otherwise you're not going to have salvation. You, you can't split Christ in two and say, well, I'll take you to be my saviour, but I will not take you to be my master and Lord and sovereign. Oh, no. I, I want to carry on as I've carried on before, but I want my soul to be saved. That doesn't work. That does not work. And so when you take Christ, you are making uh, that solemn vow, that vow of consecration. You're saying, consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and then think of it in connection with will. And my will, my will be lost in thine. High heaven that heard the solemn vow, that vow renewed shall daily hear, till in life's latest hour I bow, and bless in death a bond so dear. And here's the beauty of it. When we pray like that, we are Christ-like in our praying. Because 
Christ in the garden of Gethsemane prayed, not my will, not my will, but thine be done. So that's the height of consecration when you're following in the footsteps of the Savior who gave his life for you and shed his blood for you. And so you pray, thy will, thy will, O Lord, be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Christ-like. But it's required of us. Christ taught us to pray in this way. He says, when ye pray, say, say, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then I'll add something more before I finish. If I can't pray this prayer each day, I can't pray it at all. If I can't pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then I'm not right with God. I'm not right with God. If if you resist when you come to this phrase, you're not right with God. And if I can pray it, then I can say amen at the end of the prayer. Notice how the prayer ends. It ends with that little word, amen, or so be it, or that's, that's my petition. I agree with it. That's what you're saying. It's almost like you, you sign a covenant. The covenanters in Scotland did this. And they signed their covenant, and then they signed it at the end. There was a covenant drafted. They signed it at the end. Some of them pricked their, uh, their fingers, uh, and they signed it in blood. And so there's a signature in blood. They're saying, Amen. I agree with it. That's what I want. And that's what I'll do. That's what you're saying when you pray. Thy will be done in earth or done on earth as it is in heaven. Full consecration. You're signing your name. You're signing away your rights because the rights of Christ take precedence over your rights and mine. He signed away, in a sense, his rights in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Maybe someone here has never consecrated himself or herself, young or old, to Christ. You're unsaved. Well, you're in rebellion. You're in rebellion. Christ said, when you pray, say. And even though you could run through the Lord's Prayer, if your heart's not right with God... You're in rebellion. You need Christ. He died for sinners. He loves sinners. He reaches out to sinners. He says, come and I will give you rest. Will you not seek him? If you're backslidden, will you not turn afresh to him? And if you're seeking to go on, will you not say with all your heart, thy will be done by me. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then sign your name. Say the amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt apply thy truth to all of our hearts. We thank you for thy word. Thank you, Lord, that Christ has given us directions here in the word. And Lord, may we earnestly pray, may we seek thy face, and may we say amen at the end of this great prayer that thou hast taught us. Bless us now, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.